welcome to St. Louis in Tune. And thank you for joining us for fresh perspectives on issues and events with experts, community leaders, and everyday people who are driving change and making an impact that shapes our society and world. The show is co-hosted by Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. We are talking today about something I find very interesting. It's organic and conventional farming and the differences between those two. You go to the grocery store and organic produce, right? regular, what I would call conventional or regular produce. Mm-hmm. And we all know, I think, that there's some distinctions between those and how they are produced. And also with maybe beef and poultry. There are some differences in pork. Right. Uh, there are some differences in or- organic or naturally raised kinds of things. Right. So we're going to talk about that today in both hours. And this hour, we have David Yoder on. He is with BigYield.us and also the Ag Team Pro. And he is out of Garden City, Missouri, which mm. is just southeast of Kansas City. What a great place to be from. That's right. Garden City. It sounds uh, like it's just the whole thing's a garden. Yeah. Which I'm sure it is. David, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. Now, I've got to tell Mark, our the co-host here, what interested me in this was I saw you were doing a video on propane blasting furnace, my, my words, furnace blasting weeds and bugs out of fields. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And so the more I got into it, I contacted you and we're going to talk about some things related to that. But talk about your background in farming. Describe that to us a little bit, how long you've been in the industry. Yeah, just a brief overview. I grew up on a hog and a sheep farm and then the kind of market fell out of the hog around 98 or so. I think we ended up selling all the hogs. We were, we raped all our hogs on dirt. We were in a confinement facility that left us standing there. What am I going to do now? I actually worked in Kansas City construction industry for a few years. And then I came back. I wanted to come back to the farm. I like the lifestyle. I like the work. So I got a hold of Bill and I came to work here at Big Yield. And I ran the research farm here in Garden City for, I think, five or six years. And then I transitioned in into the organic world. I transitioned a lot of Bill all of Bill's ground into organic production. And then what I learned here at work, I also took that home with me. And we have successfully, so far, transitioned about 450 acres into organic production this year. We grow a lot of corn, beans, wheat. We're looking at some other specialty products such as oats or barley going into the microbreweries and anything we can do to help our income because we are not a large farm or family-oriented farm. And the, one of the reasons we went into organic production, personally at our farm, we started a five-star family farms. And that was, dad wanted to retire or step back a little bit. And with 450 acres, it wasn't enough land for somebody to make a living on. So we decided we needed to increase our income and, and going organic allowed us to bring my brother and two sisters back to the farm. And we all work together on it now. And that's a little brief overview of where I came from and, and a little bit of what we're doing now. I appreciate that very much, David, because it sounded unusual for a city radio station to contact a farmer to talk about farming. It's not like we're given the the futures or anything like that. But I wanted people to understand that when they go to the grocery store and they see organic produce and they see conventional produce and they see price differences, I want them to understand what is behind all this, how much you go through and what you do. And something you mentioned to me, what really 
piqued my curiosity when you said you're transitioning from a conventional farm to organic farming, at least the acreage. What is that like? Let's describe the differences between conventional farming and organic farming so people understand that. So we were a conventional farm. We use commercial fertilizer, chemicals, spray the ground, kill weed. When you go to organic production, the first thing you do is you go through what they call a transitional period, and that, that is 36 months. So basically, you go from what they call like your last disallowed product, which is something that's not approved for organic use, and that's when your date starts. For us, it was August 1st, I think 18 was our last disallowed product applied on our personal farm. So we started that point and basically you have to farm using all the organic practices, but you cannot sell your grain or your produce at organic. It's not certified organic at that time yet. A lot of the big differences, like we no no commercial fertilizer, no chemical are basically about it. So we use a lot more of mechanical tillage. We hit on a little bit with, with the burners that we use for weed control, bug control. We have a couple other specialty tools, like weed wipers we can use later in the season. There is some organic herbicides, which they're basically like, I think everybody's into essential oils right now. And that's what they are. We're using different, they're like essential oils and, and some kill weeds and to help promote the health of the plant. That's a few differences. We spend a lot more time with a lot more intensive what we do with a conventional farm. We would work the ground and plant and spray. And if you had to come back and spray one more time during the year, you were pretty much done until harvest. With the organic farming, work the ground, plant, and then three days after that, we're in the field again with the rotary hoe. And then we're in that field about every seven to 10 days, going over it, whether that's with the burner, cultivator, rotary hoe, pine leaders. There's a multitude of different equipment that we use. So that's a few of the differences. It's a lot more labor intensive. Right. Now, now in any industry, there are languages and definitions. And you mentioned the, I think people would understand what a rotary hoe is. It's a hoe that rotates, obviously. And there's no-till farming. And that means you're not tilling. So exactly how does, how is the seed planted? We don't do a lot of no-till farming in organic. We'll do some what we call minimal till. That's a little self-explanatory there. We just, we till as minimal as possible. Organic far, or organic farming doesn't allow us to do that no-till practices as much as we would like. The burners help with that. Instead of during the soil, we can go over the top with the burner and kill weed that way. And those work a couple different ways. They, I don't like saying sterilized because we're not sterilizing anything, but it'll help kill the germination in the weed feed that is there to keep them from sprouting, cleans up your soil. How about the word neutralize? There we go. That's a better word. Carpet bomb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Talk, to discuss yeah, so. that burner because I think people would understand. I've seen these in the city. Somebody's got some weeds. They don't want to use any mm-hmm. kind of uh, herbicide or something like that or Roundup. And what they do is they'll get the thing that's got the uh, little flamethrower. Flame it's, it's, yeah, it's, and you push it and it burns the weeds up. But you're talking about this is in a major scale. Discuss this burner because so people really understand what this looks like. Give them a visualization of that, David. We have two different kinds. One we call a broadcast burner and the other we call a row burner. We use those in two different ways. Our broadcast burner is 30 feet wide. It's got a torch head every 12 inches. 
on the back side of it. And the torch head are 1.2 million BTU per torch head. We pull it across the field approximately five to 10 mile an hour, just depending on weed pressure and our ambient temperatures. And we're just making sure we're getting a good kill on our weed with a fingerprint test. But it's a pretty awesome machine. It's got a 500 gallon propane tank mounted on it and it burns. It'll burn 15 to 20 gallon of propane per acre. That's our broadcast burner. Our row burner is not quite as intense. It's got a leg that goes down in between the row of the corner being what, whatever we happen to be pulling it through. And those torch heads are, I think, 700,000 BTU. They're about half, half the size of our broadcast burner. But net, we use that broadcast burner a couple different ways. We use it in the fall to kill winter annuals that we don't want. And it, it does kill the germ that we feed. And it's a pretty intense flame behind us as we're going through the field. And you're just really trying to kill the seed that's starting to germinate and not damage the crops, obviously, if, if you've got the, the row burner going. And it also, I was reading on, on some of your information, it will kill insects and larvae and things like that. And that's another uh, good reason to use it, correct? And we actually did some tests here uh, a couple of years ago. We had to pull on and uh, we burned part of the corn and then part of the corn we didn't. And that did a couple different things for it. The corn we didn't burn had weed pressure in the row. This is on organic ground too. So that's where a lot of this research came from. It was certified organic ground. So we couldn't use chemicals on some of that then we treated it as it was like a, it was a true test so part of the field we burned the other half we didn't we had probably 90 percent better weed control where we did burn than where we didn't we still cultivated grow cultivated and everything like we normally would do the only thing different was that burner path that we made and then we had another field that we it wasn't organic but we tried to burn out in it anyway and the part of the field we sprayed with an insecticide and part of the field we burned and where we burned, we actually had better insect control as far as like earworm and things like that in the corn. It's definitely been a big benefit to it. And uh, we're seeing it just, it's not just an organic tool. It could be used in the conventional world also. Now, how does that cost? What are the cost comparisons? I know environmentally there, there are some major uh, issues, but cost-wise for a farmer, what does that look like? A burner, on a row burner, it's burning 7 to 10 gallon per acre. So depending on where you can get your propane bot or how you can buy it in a tanker load, it is a commodity. So it's always going up and down. And if you can get a bot and price strike, buy on the futures and, and things like that, you can play around with that. And I think two years ago, we were 99 cents. I think last year we were at a dollar ten a gallon on that. So anywhere from 7 to $15 an acre on the row burner. On the broadcast burner, it's a little more expensive for burning 15 to 20 gallon per acre on it. So it's a little more costly to run it, but it, it works well. And if you compare these things to conventional chemical, that's one thing we looked at when we started all that. A Roundup, which is fairly cheap, it's fairly inexpensive chemical to use. Guys are using a quart per acre. That's about $12 an acre just for the chemical. And we're doing our burner path for 10 to 15, it's real comparable to some chemical application. Now, you mentioned weed pressure. What is weed pressure? Weed pressure, is it, anytime you have a weed there, it's going to be competing with the plant that you're trying to grow. And anytime you have any weed in the corner beans, that's what we consider weed pressure. It's 
just any weed in there that's not doing us any favors. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that can range probably from, I hear these things because on the commercials that these are impressed in my mind, like pig weed and oh. some other kinds of weeds mm-hmm. when the Roundup commercials were going, all those kinds of, so a variety of different kinds of weeds, correct? Oh, yeah. It it seems like every area has a specific weed that they're fighting. Like you mentioned, pig weed, water hemp, shattered cane, Johnson grass, your foxtail grasses, the hen bit. In the, that, when you see the field in the fall or spring and they're covered in purple flowers, that's hen bit. That's a weed. There's, there's thousands and thousands of weeds out there that are not beneficial to what we're trying to do. And there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot people don't understand about weeds also. They're there for a reason. A lot of times if you can, if you see a weed in your field and you can do a little research on it and see why that weed is there, it's usually telling you that you have a deficiency in something. And that's one thing on the organic farming side for sure that we have learned to pay attention to because we don't have the, we'll just spray it again. We can't do that. That's one thing we look at. If we see a weed out there, why is that weed there? What's it doing? It's putting some sort of nutrient back in the soil or it's taking something out. We got to figure out why it's there and how to make it. It's like making that weed uncomfortable so it doesn't want to germinate. Now, that's a fascinating yeah. thing, what you have just said over the last couple minutes, because you think the seeds, they they floated in from the wind or something, and they'll always grow no matter whether there's sun or whether there's water. They, weeds always grow, it seems. Right. And for you to talk right. about it's giving something to the soil or it's taking something away it, it is fascinating to me because soil health is really important in organic farming. You just can't all of a sudden, like you said, now we're going to be organic farms. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it takes 36 months to get there. So how do you transition soil that has been used in a conventional process back to what I would call an organic soil or soil health that is beneficial for the crops that you're putting in it? It's a time thing and 36 months, like you said. One thing that we look at is we use a lot more what we call like micronutrients. Everybody talks about nitrogen, your phosphate, your potash. We use a lot more micronutrient. And then our nitrogen source is mainly chicken litter. There is some other products that you can use, but the chicken litter would be a, a big for our nitrogen and you get a lot of organic matter with that. And we do a lot of soil sampling on the organic side also. We're always pulling a soil sample. We're watching what that soil's doing. And then like I said, you you're watching your weeds. You're watching what's your crop doing. You can go out there and look at the plant. See you got a yellow stripe in your corn leaf or there's a lot of things like that you have to look at. You have to pay a lot more attention to. I mean Biologicals is another one, getting your microbial growth in your soil going back when you've killed it with the chemicals and the high salt content fertilizers and things like that. It's just, it's a, like a building process. Pull your soil sample, you watch your soil sample, and then it, you got to start feeding the soil. You got to start taking care of it. You know, we got a thing here. Soil health creates farmer wealth. And the healthier we can get that, easier it's going to be to control the weeds and the more better healthier produce we're going to produce. Now, it's been part of that, David, on getting your soil health and getting your ground to be organic like you want it. What does having grazing on that from cows or other kinds of cattle, 
on there. How does that play into that? Do you, you run a, like the old manure spreader over after or drag something through to scatter out the manure and things like that? Or what is more involved with that? Get into some details with that. With our chicken litter, usually we like to have all that applied in the fall. Generally, that doesn't happen just because we run out of time. Or, but ideally, we'd like to have everything all our chicken litter applied in the fall. And then we'll come in and we will till the soil, whether that's a ditch or a chisel or something to that effect. We like to disturb the soil as little as possible. You're doing two things when you're working the ground in the fall. One, you're working in your nutrients for the next year. And the second thing you're doing is you're helping break down the trash that's left behind after the combine. So all your corn stalks or your beans double, all of that, and you don't necessarily want to bury it to get it to decompose. You just want to get it soil contact. Mm-hmm. The little start to rot and decompose, and that turns into organic matter, which is a good thing. That gives a place for your microbial growth to live and uh, work and do its thing. Then we wait until the spring, and we'll go in again and work the soil. I get it's a good feed bed, and then plant. And with planting, we do run liquid fertilizer on our planters. And a lot of guys call it starter fertilizer. That's what we're doing on the organic side. We have some organic products that we use. And it is a liquid chicken litter. It has a biological and a sweetener blended into it. We use that as a kind of starter to get us up out of the ground. We have different seed treatments that go on the seed that are organic products. Basically, there are a lot of micro, I call them micronutrient biostimulant. We use those on the organic side. And then, like I said before, once we're done planting, we start with the rotary hose, cultivators. And later in the season, we'll foliar feed also. So I still have my sprayer from when we were conventional farming spraying chemicals, but now we just spray that again, that liquid chicken lid, more biological sweeteners, a big one. Anything we could use to help us get our nutrients where they need to be and help that plant get healthy. Now, Mark finds the liquid chicken litter very uh, humorous. I know. I just don't know what that is. Liquefied <laughs> chicken poop. Is oh, that is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Put it bluntly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. There, there's a process it's called compost tea, and you can do the same thing with compost, even in your backyard. You huh. know, if you got a compost pile, uh-huh. if you have a way to come collect the liquid that comes off it that's full of nutrients oh, really microorganisms and that's basically what it is it's just the liquid that comes off of it's better uh, than miracle uh, grow oh, wow really it's healthier so if i recommend drinking it if i'm going to make it, it works really good on the bean if i'm going to make a vegetable garden at home i'll start a compost pile and in a couple of years i'll move that pile and i should have some good soil right there i would think Maybe when they're making compost, there's a lot that goes into that too. They stir it, and as they're stirring it, they add they're shooting biologicals on that. Anything to stimulate that process of breaking down what you have in your compost pile. If you have a compost pile and you can get your hands on some biological sweetener, it's a big one. But what your sweetener's doing is it's feeding your biologicals, and your biologicals are breaking down your NPK to feed your plant. Any kind. Of yeah, anything you can get on that pile as you stir it and as it's working and growing and anything you get on there to feed it or something like that will give you a good, a lot better end product than just a pile setting there. Huh. Wow. This is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this because when you go to the grocery store, I'm sure people aren't thinking, oh, this farm is out there and they've done all this stuff to prepare. We're just buying whatever we're buying to consume. And I don't think people really 
put a, some thought process into what goes into this. That's why we were talking about this. I wanted to talk to you about cover crops because I hear about this and what are they used for? When are they used? Etc. like that. Talk about that and then talk about crop rotations because I've heard that it's always good to rotate crops rather than keep the corn in the field for 15 years and it pulls all the nutrients out and then it doesn't have any more nutrients. So talk about those two issues if you might. We could talk about soybean first or soybean. The difference between soybeans and corn. Soybean is a legume and so that basically means that pulling nitrogen from the air and putting it back in the soil. Your corn does the opposite. It pulls the nitrogen out of the soil and that's how it grows and produces a crop. So corn is a very hungry crop. It's expensive to feed and it usually, when you plant corn, your cost per acre go up significantly. It's quite a bit cheaper to grow beans, but it payday at the end is usually a lot better when you grow corn. So that's the difference between corn and bean. So we'll run different cover crops in front of our beans than we do in front of our corn. And we use those a couple different ways. There's a million different cover crops out there to use. Oh, wheat, radishes, turnips, winter peas, hairy bed, alfalfa, clover, all those, just name a few. Those are some of the ones that we use. Those could be used as cover crops. We will, in front of beans, we will run usually oats, radishes, turnips, something like that in front of our bean crop. And we will plant those in the fall after harvest. Once we're done with that, well, once we get those planted, a lot of times we'll just winter kill those products or winter, we'll want those to winter kill, and which means they won't survive the freezing temperature. And then in the spring, you will have a good ground cover. And of course, that's all organic matter. Work it up, plant our bean. And that's what we do at plants, our soybean. Our corn, we use different ones. That's where you're using your alfalfa, your winter peas, some of your hairy bed. Because they are legumes, they're putting nitrogen in the soil, and that's what your corn needs. And we also plant some cover crops in the spring. So we'll plant oats late in the spring, get those oats maybe a foot tall, work those oats up, and plant right behind that. And what that's doing is that's creating what we call a green manure. And so as that rot in the soil, it creates nitrogen, which helps our corn grow. That's a couple ways we use them. Some guys on the conventional side more than on the organic side, they'll use like a rye. They'll plant the rye, roll it, crimp it to kill it, and then they'll no-till directly into that. That's something on the organic side it's a little harder to do just because to get enough product that lays on the ground to mulch it, we're seeing we get yield drags from that. And it's a little harder to do if you do have a weed problem then later, it's harder to cut back in and cultivate and save your crop. So that there's a million different things out there and that's how they work. And that's how we use them. On the organic side, we're using them more for beating our next crop mm-hmm. and, and making sure that the, the soil's ready to go for the next year. Your radishes turn up, they're breaking up any hard pan that you may have. What else is there? I don't, there's just a multitude of different ways and how people use them radishes love radishes i used to plant radishes when i was a kid (laughs) it was my favorite thing to do can i ask i want to ask something about the no tilling because i don't know if people understand you don't till the ground anymore is that correct is there's a reason for that yeah that's basically no till there you do not stir the soil and 
Like the, the conventional side, they use that more than we do on the organic side. And a lot of that has to do with erosion control. That's how they keep the soil walking down the hillside. You're using that cover that's on the ground and the roots that are in the ground to hold the soil where you want it. Another thing they're doing is that mat that's left on top is like a bowl. Mm-hmm. And that keeps the ground from le- letting any weed germinating come up through. It also helps with keeping moisture in the soil. It uses your mulch, keeps the sunlight from hitting it, and doesn't let it dry out. It'll help with some water retention and things like that. Now, as I've looked at that, David, and the kind of the progression of how farming has uh, evolved is, and this is just a a, kind of a historical question, is no-till farming or using not using discs and anything like that is that as a result of the amount of unnatural fertilizers that have been used, which kind of destroys the soil and the ability for the soil to hold water? Because when you look at organic soil, and I've seen some of these things as I've done some research for the show here, and organic soil is just, it holds much more water. It retains, it's more, my words, more clumpy. It holds itself together. Is no-till farming a result of, oh, now we have to do something else because now everything will wash away? Yeah, I I think so. And we did no-till when we were conventional. A lot of times we would, most most guys, if they're farming, what they're going to work the ground in front of their corn crop. But after the corn crop, a lot of times they will not. They'll no-till beans into the corn ground. And that you're i think you hit it on the head a lot of it is they have to do something and that's probably one of the cheaper ways to do it instead of trying to incorporate cover crops and things like that because they have on the conventional side they do have more options when it comes to fertilizers and and weed control and things like that than we have on the organic side so we generally have to work our ground more than your conventional guys are but one thing that we are doing differently is we're trying to keep our ground covered all the time and what that's doing is that every time them roots go down in there, that's leaving organic matter in the soil, and that helps break up that soil, and it helps it retain more water and things like that. So when we go to the store and we see produce that's produced by an organic farm, your bottom line, after initially, I know it the costs are more, you're in the field more, obviously you have more labor costs, other kinds of costs than what I would call a conventional farming. And so I'm choosing between maybe tomatoes or corn or beans that have been grown conventionally versus have grown organically. Oh, gee, it's more organically. Gee, my pocketbook doesn't do that. However, the differences are nutritionally. And now my understanding is really it's leveled itself out. If you've been in the business long enough, you've got, you're getting more, your crops are producing more, you're getting better prices, you're selling like farm to table, you're not having to go through the middleman or go to a store, you're delivering. Am, am I on the right track there or am I just making this all up as I go along? No, I, I, you're real close. On the conventional side, a lot of times you sell your grain to the elevator and the price is what the price is. If you're up to date, you're forward pricing your grain, selling on future markets, you're hedging and doing all those things to help optimize the money that you're going to bring back in on the conventional side. On the organic side, we're a lot smaller. We have the ability to do more specialty type crops, which 
like you're talking about going direct to consumer locally we have a, a winery right down the road and so we will my sister's actually getting into some produce so we will supply them with some locally sourced organic produce so we're always we're looking for something specialized we're going to start bagging up some of our organic corn for deer corn and selling it that way as opposed to just we'll just take it down the road and dump it at the elevator and get what we get we do make more money but like we talked about earlier we spend a lot more time a lot more labor growing these crops and our our sources of nutrients are usually more expensive our, our chicken litter is cost quite a bit to get in i think it's 46 50 a ton right now put on in front of corn we're putting on four ton per acre so that that can get pretty expensive so there's it's like two different worlds when you're talking about conventional and organic and you're right because we do look at the specialty market we are we do see a little yield drag which means we'll yield less as we start into the organic but then as you get into it one thing i really noticed when i was working on the research farm and when i was transitioning ground here on the research farm was conventionally we're putting down 200 pounds of nitrogen per acre and as we transitioned our ground, we started using different forms of, of nitrogen and we started using a lot more micronutrients and we started using a lot more biologicals and sweeteners. With the couple of crops built in there, we started instead of needing 200 pounds of nitrogen, now all we need is 150 to grow the same amount of corn. And it, it all works together. Your couple of crops are not just there to help create nutrients, they're help. They're there to help the soil hold water, but they're also, some of them there help control weed. Well, that's something I forgot to mention when we were talking about cover crops is the benefit, some of the benefits to those is weed control. They put off certain enzymes and it won't allow the wheat to germinate. This is a, it's a big topic. It's hard to cover in an hour. There's so much that goes into it and there's so many awesome things that once you get into the organic side and you see how it all works together, we're going to need less nitrogen, but we're going to use a lot more biological. Our cost per acre will go up and our labor will go up. I compared it to on our conventional side, a farmer that's farming, say, 5,000 acres will actually spend the same amount of time that we will, and we're only farming 450. But that, I call that seat time. For the time that you're in the track seat, that's how I look at it. Or maybe 1,000 acres of organic will be about the same as, as 5,000 acres of conventional ground. Wow. Where they're covering the field three times, we're covering the field seven times or 10 times in a year. Yeah. A, a lot of it, a lot of our problems, a lot of our, well, not fairly problems, but some of the stuff that hurts us, benefit conventional guys and some of the stuff that hurts conventional guys actually benefit us. We like it drier. We like it to be drier because anytime it's not raining, there's no weed pressure. As long as we got plenty of water there or our, our plant that if we got cover crops and we're able to retain more water in the soil than a conventional guy will, we can withstand the drought better. Mother nature plays a huge role in what we do and how we do it. And there's just there's a million things that go into it, and it's awesome. When I first started doing this, I said, Bill, he wanted me to, to get into the organics, and I said, Bill, I don't want to do with that. It seems too hard, or it wasn't, it didn't enter, interest me very much. But as, as I got into it, it, it really opened my eyes about how it works and, and what's available. And like technology, too, there's a million different things out there, but there's always new things coming on board for this organic world. And it's not making it easy. I don't want to say it's easy because 
it's not easy, but making it a lot easier. Talking about Bill, that's Bill Cook, who's going to be on at the 12 o'clock hour. And you don't want to miss that interview because this guy's credentials go out the door here at the station. It's unbelievable. You mentioned something, David, about things that are coming online with organic farming. What are these advances? What do you see happening on the horizon as it relates to things that are going to change the organic farming industry and make it grow even more? There's some pretty interesting products that have to do with nitrogen. There's three, three, three major hurdles in the organic farming world. One is nitrogen. Two is we control and three would be labor. It's, <laughs> It, labor is hard to find. We cannot find good help. And I think that's in every industry. It, it, it's not there. There's not. If you find somebody that's good at something, get them to show up. Or just getting a guy to show up is right. impossible. And yeah. it's that our kids, my kids, I'm 40 years old. I've got a 21-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son. And when I was 16, I could get three or four buddies together and we go put up hay. You just yeah. can't find that anymore. Yeah. I used to trump cotton. I used to tromp cotton when I was a kid. You ever tromp cotton? Right. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, oh, never mind. Sorry. Oh, we had tea. All right. Go ahead. But those are three things that, that hurdle that we have to get over in the organic side and the product that they're coming out with or the nitrogen. Those are really interest me. There's some biological that take nitrogen out of the air and get them into the plant. And that's going to be huge for growing corn, for growing wheat, oats. They think like that. The weed deal, like with these burners, that's something that we're always playing with on timing and things like that to help kill weed. And then we're using weed wipers now, like I mentioned, with the different organic herbicide to help kill the weeds. And then also different types of equipment with weed clippers. You can mow off the top of the weed and kill them that way. Is is a lot of is a lot of this being developed here in, in the United States? Is this a or is it being developed to other places too? Yeah. Uh, okay. The short answer. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of different equipment that actually is imported into the United States. The pine leaders are a big one. But I don't know that there's a manufacturer for pine leaders in the state. I know a lot of those are coming out of Europe. And then weed clippers would be another one. They're more a European thing, but they're working their way in this direction. And they are things that we can get. They're just imported product. Our weed burner are actually manufactured here in the state. Flame Engineering, Red Dragon makes those. We're dealer for those, but they're made in Kansas. That's a local one. A lot of our biologicals and things like that do come out of the state. There are some that's coming out of Europe. It's a combination of both, really. And I'd say we're pretty even with what we import and, and what the manufacturers are made here in the state. Final question for you. Is Europe more ahead of the United States in organic farming, or is the United States more ahead of Europe and the rest of the world? We farm differently. I would say as far as the biological side of it and maybe some of the really more technical side they are, but as far as getting it on a scalable, manageable field, we're better at doing it bigger. It, that kind of makes sense. They focus a lot. So you go over there, you don't see a 10,000 acre farmer. Everybody over there has got 20 or 40 acres or 10, and that's how they do it. Here, uh, we're, we're talking about me as a small farmer at 450. We have a goal to be at 1,200 within the next couple of years certified organic. We would be considered probably on the bigger side of the organic farming, but so 
our scalability, we're better at that over here than they are over there. But we also, I think, have more landmass to work with. They just do things differently than we do. I don't want to say they're better or worse than we are. And But I think, I don't know, I think we're better at growing corn and beating the industrial side of it than, than they are. They're a lot better, I think, at growing some vegetables and, and things like that. But we're catching up fast over here. This, is, this organic thing is growing, and I think we'll be at the top of the food chain before we're too long. I really appreciate you coming on the show today to talk about this. It's very informative. It, I, I hope people, when they go to the grocery store or when they're out buying at a farmer's market or produce stand, that they realize that, hey, there's a lot that goes into what they're purchasing, especially if it's uh, on the organic side. So we've been talking to David Yoder from BigYield.us and the Ag Team Pro. David, we, again, appreciate it. Thanks very much for coming on today. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I enjoy this. I enjoy the opportunity to share what we do. And again, if anybody's got any questions, they can get a hold of me at bigyield.us. I'd love to talk to anybody. You don't have to be a 10,000 acre farmer. If you're wanting to grow a garden, I'd love to talk to you and help you. And education is big for us here. And I'd love to help educate and reach out and do anything I can do. Sounds great. Thank you, David. Have a great weekend. Thanks, David. Right, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, that's great. It's wow. fascinating stuff, Mark. Oh, yeah. You know how I, I remember when organic first came out, it was like, man, why is this so expensive? And right. I understand people are taking more time. It's more labor intensive, but you really understand what's labor intensive about it. And the, the result is you have healthier plants, oh. you have healthier produce. We didn't even get into the animal industry. That's, okay. that's a whole nother thing. No. But so, what do they call it? The the free range? Free range chicken, yeah, the, the beef. And, uh-huh. It's a big deal. A lot of people won't eat anything that's not organic. I tell anymore. you, can taste the difference. Right. Oh, yeah. It's better for you. That's all for this show, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can listen to additional shows at stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. And please consider leaving a review on Apple or Podchaser or your preferred podcast platform as your feedback helps us reach more listeners and continue to grow. Thanks to Bob Berthesell for our theme music and co-host Mark Langston. And we thank you for being a part of our community of curious minds. St. Louis in Tune is a production of Motif Media Group and the U.S. Radio Network. Remember to keep seeking, keep learning, walk worthy, and let your light shine. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.